Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome in to the Otzen Audibles podcast post-game edition. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me as always. Wrapping up a 38-35 victory by the Oregon Ducks. A game in which, Eric, boy, uh, we were not expecting this to be this close. Neither was Vegas. Oregon was a 17-point favorite at the time of kickoff. And this game literally came down to the final possession of the game, essentially. Uh, UCLA had an opportunity. They were, they were across midfield. Could have won this game in the final seconds. Oregon makes the, the, the plays necessary to get off the football field, take one knee, walk off with a 38-35 win. And probably the entire Oregon fan base with a huge just, oof. Well, we said last week about how it's like, we got have they earned that trust the way they played in Pullman? You know, that they were going to be able to pull out wins like this, Matt? And I guess they did win. But, like, I was really – and I know you were, too, because we were messaging back and forth in Slack. And we should note, Matt was not at the game at Otz, and it was very strange not having you there. Um, Kevin, <laughs> I am healthy. I'm fine. Yeah, Matt is fine. He does not, he's not part of the, uh, the COVID protocols. But, uh, yeah, the injury report, he's not on the injured reserve. But, like, it was stunningly close. And it was a game that, like, it felt like for – parts of the second half, like Oregon was a player two away from just blowing it open. Right. And yep. Camden Lewis misses a field goal. Well, we're, I, I, I know we're going to talk about that. And then they take a big penalty and are sacked another time and have to punt from about midfield. And those two opportunities seem like, you know, Oregon was just a player two away from just blowing it open. And it's going to be, you know, a 17 point game and it's going to be, they're covering the spread and everything's fine. They don't do that. The defense can't make some plays. And yeah, you're right. We're sweating it to the end, to the, to the bitter end, to the last seconds of the game. And I know for me, I come away from this going, wow, okay, they're 3-0. and But also, this was the game I was expecting them to kind of take a big step, and they didn't. And UCLA didn't have it starting quarterback, and they didn't take that step. And I, they play Oregon State next week. Oregon State just beat Cal. I'm expecting that game in Corvallis, which Matt and I are both hoping to be at to be another very competitive game. Oregon got the game off with uh, Devin Williams touchdown pass of 19 yards and followed it up with another touchdown pass to Travis die for 32 yards, uh, puts Oregon up 14, nothing eight seconds to go in the first quarter. And you're thinking, boy, this game it's over. It's going to be a blowout. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden things just kind of go back to an even tilt. UCLA adds one rushing touchdown from Demetric Felton, and then they return a fumble by uh, Oregon for another touchdown just minutes later. And it's 14-14 early in the second quarter. Camden Lewis knocks in a 23-yard field goal, cap off a 13-play, 70-yard drive, 17-14 Oregon. But then the Bruins, they they tack on a touchdown. They, they're up 21-17. Looks like halftime, Oregon's going to be going into half trailing for the first time this season. But last play of the game uh, results in an attempted Hail Mary. Oregon's pass rush gets some pressure on Chase Griffin. The, you know, the, a, a duck of a football gets thrown, no pun intended. Uh, Jordan Happel scoops it up, 
returns at 52 yards for a touchdown as time expires. Ducks go into half, leading 24-21. Come out of the second half, uh, they don't score. UCLA doesn't score. And then uh, Oregon puts together a seven-play, 75-yard drive to go up 10 with a C.J. Verdell four-yard touchdown run. And then Oregon, later on in the third quarter, adds another touchdown pass uh, from Hunt, from Tyler Shuck to Hunter Campwire to go up 38-28 going into the fourth quarter. UCLA gets a touchdown with three minutes and 33 seconds to go in the game, or 43 seconds, excuse me, uh, to pull within three. And it was basically a situation, Eric, where the last – Three and a half minutes or so, Oregon had knew, hey, you know what? We get two first downs, we probably win this game. They get a first down on the first couple plays, and it's looking like they're going to do it, but then they don't. They don't get a first down. UCLA gets the stop that they need. They have two timeouts in their pocket. They go. Oregon punts. They march down the field, and it's, and it's honestly, it looked like UCLA was going to be in a position in which they could have walked out of Autzen, stealing a victory, Oregon makes some plays late. They get a, a turnover on downs. They take one knee. They walk off the field with a victory. Um, and let's let's talk about this defense first. Uh, we're going to talk about injuries. We're going to talk about the offense. But, boy, Eric, I, I look at this and think, like you said, I was expecting Oregon's defense to take a big jump. They were out. Oregon was outgained by UCLA today with a backup quarterback, a redshirt freshman at that. 462 total yards of offense for UCLA. Bruins had 27 first downs. They were 8 of 17 on third down. They were 2 of 4 on fourth down. They ran 82 plays in this game. They averaged 5.6 yards uh, per play. Their average yards per completion was 10.3. They ran for 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, They were 3 for 3 in the red zone. They had the ball longer than Oregon did, granted, by about a minute. Uh, And this was an instance in which they really just kind of, I don't want to say dominated, but boy, they looked really, really good. I mean, 167 yards for UCLA's running back, Demetrik Felton, two touchdowns. He, he crushed Oregon's front seven and a group in which you and I have said was supposed to be the heart of this defense. For this defense. It's like, if it's not one thing, it's another, right? I mean, they, we were like, gosh, can they get after the quarterback? And I thought they did. Okay. Today, two sacks, they, on the interception, as you noted before, Brandon Dorless gets to Chase Griffin, and that's the reason it's picked off when that interception happens. They, we were like, can they force a turnover? They forced three. They scored 21 points off of those turnovers, one on a pick six, and two where it's just like literally the, the next play is a touchdown pass from Chuck to Williams and then Chuck to Travis Dye. So they do all those things, and yet they took, I feel like, a big step back at the line of the scrimmage. And the way UCLA ran the football, averaging five yards per carry – I mean, they ran it 51 times, which is an incredible number. But, like, this was the backup quarterback. We, we knew that Chase Griffin, you know, and I can't say we knew because we had no scouting report on him. We probably found out about, what, two hours before kickoff he wasn't right. playing. But, like, we weren't expecting him to throw the ball 50 times and just move the ball up and down the field. I think Oregon's defense had to have been very aware that this was what they were going to do. And yet, you're right. Demetrik Felton just ran it down their throats. Britton Brown came in, did the same thing, and Oregon's defense just wasn't good enough in the front seven, and, and it was kind of demoralizing to watch that. And I think the secondary, you know, some of those some of those third-down conversions, there's a third and 18, and then right after that was a 35-yard touchdown pass to uh, 
Greg Dulcich, who's that was their only touchdown pass and it was just wide open. Like there were breakdowns there. And for as much as we were like, okay, they they forced some turnovers and they got after the quarterback a little bit. They weren't very good overall. And to give up 35 points and you ran through the, the 400 something yards, the total offense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, I think, kind of eye-opening. And I think you can feel really comfortable saying, like I, I do at least now, like I was, I was expecting them to be better in this game. And I, I think you come away going, this is not the 2019 defense. This is the 2020 defense. And the 2020 defense is just not no, nowhere near as good. Um, and I think there's the upside that they can get there and be not as good as 2019, but still be pretty good. But they're not. And right now, this is a team that needs to score 35, 38, 40 points to win. And if they don't, they're probably not winning football games. It's a weird dynamic because you look at this and you say, Oregon – they, they finally got into the turnover game. They uh-huh. finally were able to force UCLA into three turnovers in the first half. Uh, Oregon finished the game uh, with, what, four forced turnovers against UCLA. Um, yeah. Oregon scored on all four of those turnovers. One of them was a pick six, uh, but they had, they had three, other position, uh, three other turnovers that directly led to points winning this game. So you could, you could really argue that Oregon's defense – put Oregon into a position to win this game. They got two critical three-and-out stops on defense in the second half to that also coincided with Oregon's best half offensively, uh, excuse me, best quarter offensively in that game. And yet at the same time, we look at this and we think, boy, like they were blown off the line of scrimmage. Boy, they had pass coverage issues. Boy, they, they had some penalties that were just kind of what are you doing type of a situation? They weren't getting uh, to the quarterback all that often. They had, they had two sacks, but they didn't have as much pressures as you, as you would hope to get. Uh, They had just six tackles for loss in this football game. Uh, They, they could not uh, keep UCLA out of the end zone. Once they got into the red zone, Uh, their yards per carry was bad. Uh, You just look at this and think they played really good in some spots, but then they played really bad in others. And it's only going to get more difficult now because more film is getting out and we're seeing teams start taking advantage of that. I mean, Oregon's coach, head coach, Mark Cristobal, their players also said the same thing. Give credit to to UCLA. They they did some things and they executed some things uh, that were tough to stop. Um, But at the same time, Teams are getting an opportunity to really diagnose and really go and figure out what what can you do to beat this team. And I I think we learned something from Chip Kelly today is that if if you really want to put Oregon's defense on their heels, go tempo because Oregon had a, a difficult time dealing with the pace of this game defensively. I felt like uh, the point. Their, their defense, a lot of guys hands on hips. There, a lot of their guys weren't set uh, when. The you know the ball was being sla- uh, snapped, uh, and I I also thought um, this UCLA team did a really good job of getting mentally into Oregon's head here a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you. And this was a chippy game, and at times it felt like I mean Oregon's touchdown. We should note this one. Like Oregon goes up fourteen nothing, and I think everybody's probably like collective sigh of relief, like oh this is going to be that blowout game that we expected. Yep. They compound things though because it gets chippy in the back of the end zone. And I believe it was Devin Williams gets uh, penalized 15 yards on the ensuing kickoff. UCLA takes it about the midfield and comes down and scores to make it 14, seven. 
But that wasn't the only time that Oregon cut retaliated or made a mistake that was just silly. And like I, for, for as much as we think there's a lot of talent on this defense and I still think there is, it, I, I really am concerned about how, how they stack up against some of these offenses coming up here. And now you can probably argue that Oregon state isn't going to be much better than UCLA. Maybe Cal's not going to be much better than UCLA. Washington hasn't looked super impressive, but the reality is, is that UCLA had a backup quarterback in and still just completely dominated this game at the line of scrimmage. And, and again, a win is a win, and, and you, you take that and you move forward. I think Mario Crystal has some great quotes we have up on DuckTerritory.com about you never apologize for a win, and that's true. But I think you also come away with this going like, wow, uh, th- this defense is, is not what we kind of anticipated. Uh, there are some injuries and that are very concerning. You know, I don't know if we want to have the Noah Sewell conversation now. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, he leaves the game on a cart in the second half, and – Mark Cristobal after the game, much more optimistic than I think any of us expected. You see a player leave on a cart, and like I don't, I don't have in front of me or have any idea of what like the, the odds are or like the percentage of when that player actually ever comes back. But I think almost any time you see a player leave on a cart, you're like, uh oh, that's probably the end of their season. You know what I mean? Yep. And Cristobal says after the game, we've got to run some more tests on him. We feel like he has a chance. We feel like he's got a chance where he'll be okay. That's more than I can comment on right now until we can confirm a few things, hopefully things are not as bad as they originally seemed. Now, like, so like, okay, maybe he's not out for the season, but like, I'm also going, is it realistic to expect him to come back next week or the week after, or even the week after that? I mean, like, do you expect to see him in three weeks? Unless he, unless he somehow just completely, like, unless, unless he's totally healthy. And if Noah Sewell's not available, like, I don't know where you would if you want to do like a just a really quick ranking of the most important defensive players on Oregon's football roster, but like he's got to be like top three for me. Um, you know, I'd say like probably Kayvon Thibodeau and Diomede Lenore are the only players I think are slightly more valuable. Sewell in this game, five tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and a forced fumble. Um, the first, for, yeah, the first fumble they forced all season. He he was the one who forced it and it was picked up by Farrell McKinley and then run for thirty-five yards. Like this is really significant and Oregon went out and signed three, five stars. None of them are making an impact on the field right now. And none of them are available. I think, I mean, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Manning was not at the game. He was tweeting Justin, from, he was tweeting during the game. So he wasn't there. Justin flow. Uh, obviously we know he's out for the year because of an injury and surgery that he had. And now Noah Sewell and his own injury. So yeah, like, like three guys that everyone was banking on to come in and say, Oregon loses Troy Dye. Oregon loses Thomas Graham. Uh, Oregon is adding another star to go with Isaac Slade Matuatia at the linebacker spot. Um, all these guys that were at that, that Oregon fan base, probably Oregon's staff internally was saying, sure. Hey, we don't know if they're going to start, but we know that they're going to make a huge impact on this defense. All three of them right now are not playing. And all three of them were expected at minimum to provide depth and talent to this roster on defense yeah and it's Sewell was the one who made contributions and some of the plays he made tonight or today I should say because it's I guess I get turned around because it gets dark so early I guess it's only six o'clock and this game was finished by about four it does feel like it's 11 o'clock it really does but you know he is so dynamic and such a difference maker in that middle of that defense and I don't want to 
we saw what Drew Mathis was in the first game. Obviously, that was the first game, and there's an opportunity for him to improve. But he's the player I think we can we expect to be playing big snaps if Sewell's out. And you're talking about a defense, and we just ran through all the things that are concerning with it. Well, you remove, like I said, their best linebacker. I think I would say that. I'm pretty comfortable saying that right now. And if not their best, their second best, if you want to say Slade Mato Atia, just from an experience perspective, is more valuable. Like, if you remove them from the equations, the defense doesn't get better. I'll put it that way. And I think that's – it's unfortunate that that also comes from a game like this where there's so many ups and downs defensively. And then you also see a really spectacular player, a very fun player. And I think, like, legitimately, if he plays at his full freshman season – a freshman All-American caliber player and, and maybe the Pac-12's defensive freshman of the year. I was trying to think of that today of like who else could really challenge him for that the way he's playing and and yet you're probably not going to see him. I don't know. I mean, I, and we don't want to, can't jump to too many conclusions here because Mario said they're going to still do more testing. He might be okay. But my sense is I'd be stunned if he's available maybe before a Pac-12 conference championship game or certainly a bowl game. Now, uh, the question here, I think... This is what Oregon staff, in a short time period, they need to decide. Do you move Isaac Slade Matuatia back from the Will linebacker spot back to the Mike linebacker spot and put somebody else at the Will spot, which is typically on the outside, um, kind of a you know edge rush mentality? Um, he's still in the. I, I shouldn't say outside, but he's. Uh, on the weak side of the defense of the, of the offense and a position where uh, there's a lot opportunity to make a lot of plays. It's got to typically be a very athletic, very um, talented linebacker. Do you, do you maybe move Isaac back to that Mike spot in place of Sewell and bring somebody else in perhaps an Adrian Jackson, a guy that's physically yeah. a freak. Um, and maybe that's what you do instead of going with a Drew Mathis or going with an MJ Cunningham um, in, inside at the linebacker spot. I'm, I'm open to that. Like, I mean, if I, and obviously we don't have any, we have no impact on these decisions that are made, but like, I think Adrian Jackson, and I know he compounded, actually it's kind of a funny sequence here. Cause he gets the sack <laughs> and then he get he like, he does like almost the, what is that? Like the Allen Iverson step over almost yeah. on Chase Griffin. He doesn't let him get up and they delay of game. Well, that half probably runs out. <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't make that play and yet they get another chance. And then that's where it leads to the Jordan Happel pick six for a touchdown. Um, but like, I think Adrian Jackson, you see the raw talent and there are times where he just pops and you're like, Holy cow, his athleticism, athleticism, he needs to be on the field more. So maybe that's what they do. And if, and if they don't do that, like I said, it's probably Drew Mathis who we're going to see. And Mathis had five tackles tonight. Um, I don't know how many of those came after Sewell is out, but I assume probably a lot of them. He's certainly not like, a terrible football player, but I think we were all pretty it's safe honest. to say that he stepped down from what Sewell was. Yeah, we saw that in the first game when Sewell, you know, f- you know, when Mathis started and Sewell was his replacement, the defense was a lot better when Sewell was out there. So again, like we don't know all the details here, but I, I think this is significant. And for, for the side of the ball that really is struggling the most right now, you need all your guns out there, and to lose him for any extended period of time would really, really hurt a defense that already is kind of struggling to kind of get through things right now. Uh, Oregon has now won 18 of its last 20 games dating back to the last three games of the 2018 season. They're 13 and one in the last 14 PAC 12 games since the final two of 2018. They've extended their winning streak at Austin to 12 straight games. They're 15 and one all time under head coach Mario Cristobal at Austin stadium. 
13 and one at home as a ranked team under Mario Cristobal, uh, seventh straight game in a row over UCLA. Uh, and this is the fifth game with four plus takeaways since the start of last season. Uh, you look at some things across the board offensively. We haven't even spoken yet about the offensive side of the football and I do that. There's, there's a couple of things that, that really one stand out to me. Um, Oregon came into this game averaging 269 yards on the ground. They were by far one of the best teams offensively in the Pac-12. They were equally balanced, averaging 269 on both sides of the football. Uh, they were dominant on the ground, especially in the, heads, uh, in the second half as the game wore on. And in this football game, they could only muster 88 yards on 34 carries, one touchdown. Uh, Travis Dye led the Ducks with 10 carries for 40 yards rushing. That's a team high 40 yards. Tyler Shuck was second with 31 yards on the ground. He had, he had been sacked four times in that game. So his numbers dropped significantly uh, because of it. And then CJ Verdell, just 12 carries, 18 yards, one touchdown. And that was a weird deal. He had a fumble. And then it, it felt like after that fumble, he was just non-existent out there. It's a concern. It's a big concern, and as well as his offensive line had played. And we talked about how Oregon's defensive front kind of got pushed around. I thought the Oregon offensive line got pushed around almost just as much, if not more, by UCLA's front. You mentioned the four sacks. You run through the – I mean, 34 rushes is not a small number. And to only accumulate 88 rushing yards, that's 2.6 yards per carry. And as you noted, the sacks are kind of misleading. If you take out those four sacks, Tyler Shuck has – you know, seven carries for like 55 yards. And then the rushing average goes up to probably like three and a half, but still like, regardless, like it, it wasn't their best day. And, and UCLA did a similar, it was very similar last week against Cal. They dominated at the point of attack and Cal could only score 10 points. They gained like 54 yards on the ground. I was stunned though that this Oregon offensive line and this run game, which like we ran through earlier has been just decimating opponents, especially in the second half really kind of fell flat. And there was only one rush of over 10 yards all game, by the way. And that was on a Tyler Shuck scramble for 23. Um, actually, I think two, because he also had a 15-yard rush. But neither of the running backs had runs over eight yards. Travis Dye had an eight-yard run, and C.J. Verdell's long was seven. Like, they just didn't have it. And I don't know how much that's cost for concern, because maybe this is going to be one of the better fronts Oregon's going to face all season. But it certainly isn't great. And you feel good, I guess, that Tyler Shuck's arm was able to bail them out. And we, my prediction coming into this week is he'd set a new career high in passing yards, and he did that. 334 yards passing, three touchdowns, didn't throw a pick. Probably his best day from a pure yardage and like statistical perspective. Um, and we can talk about some of the receivers who stepped up because two guys who we hadn't really seen much from led the way on from a receiving perspective. But let's not lose sight of this run game and the inability to really establish anything and, and like – I guess you can feel pretty good that, hey, the offense still scores 38 points. But the reality is, like we said, 28 of those 38 came on the backs of turnovers, right? And one of them was a pick six. So only 31 of those, you know, you know, they didn't score a lot offensively. And almost all of those drives were short fields. You know, the touchdown pass, Devin Williams, that comes on a short field. The touchdown pass, Travis Dye, that comes on a short field. Um the rest they had to kind of move up and down the field, but like Oregon didn't have that many long extended drives. I mean, you look at what they did. They only had um, three drives of more than 50 yards all game. 
and to to win the game with that kind of a fact really points to the turnovers they forced. But it's not really sustainable to have that kind of you know to have much success. I don't think without a run game, and I think you have to be a little bit concerned. And like I said, I think they're I think they'll be better. This group, like two out of three games, they've been dynamite running the football, but like. Now you kind of see that this group's human and this offensive line, which looks so fantastic with five new starters and basically a six man rotation. And I wrote extensively on that on Dr.com if you want to go and look at that as a scopal system story I posted on Friday. They didn't look quite as good either in running situations or in pass protection. Oregon, I mean, Tyler Shuck, four sacks, but also got hit numerous times and had to avoid the pressure numerous times. So, yeah, I mean, the run game was not good. Should we talk about something positive, Matt? And Oregon, <laughs> Oregon did just win the game. Should we talk about Devin Williams and Hunter Campmoyer? Well, that's what I was just going to say, is that this is a team that, look, I, I don't even know if they played a B-minus game, personally. And so. they found a way to be an improved UCLA team, 38-35. And they did it with an inexperienced roster. There's a ton of youth on this team. The veteran, there, there are a few veterans who have played a lot of football. There's no denying that. But for the most part, Oregon is either playing a young player who's a sophomore or freshman, uh, or they're playing a guy that's a junior or a senior that is making his first career start or is getting his first serious action this season. And yet they found a way to win. They're they're 3-0. and And as Mario Cristobal said, as he looks across the country and he, he references that perennial powers have losing records in college football, and he didn't name names, but he's he's talking about the LSUs. He's talking about the Penn States. He's talking about how Oklahoma has two losses already this season. He's talking about how Texas is losing games this year, how Michigan is down this season. Uh, and that the fact that Oregon is still finding ways to win They're three, and zero. you don't apologize for winning a football game. You always are excited. You're always happy. You understand that there's still plenty of work to be done. And I think I look at Oregon's issues on both sides of the football. And I don't know if it's a lack of talent, a lack of depth thing or a lack of physicality issue. It's all schematic stuff. It's all things that you can say as a staff, you can say as a player, hey, we can fix this. It's not that, hey, we're just outgunned. We just don't have the athlete to contend with this team, or we don't have the depth to contend with the season here. It's all schematic stuff, which is all fixable. Yeah, I'm with you. And like, I expect that like this might be a wake-up call, right? I mean, are you going to be stunned if they come out against Oregon State and, and, and blow them off the water? Blow, no, I'm not going to be stunned. But I'm also like, I'm kind of, I said the same thing last week about how, wow, man, they really played another crappy game against Washington State. But this UCLA team next week, that's when they're going to really stand up. So like, I'm not going to make those kind of predictions. And um, frankly, like, this is a weird year. And Oregon has yet to play, I mean, they're 3-0 despite not playing four quality quarters of football at all like I mean the first two games it was like okay they played a bad first half great second half like what did they play maybe a good third quarter this game and a good little second part of the second quarter I mean like they this was not a very well played football game from Oregon's perspective period and again you're right like I I, I think the upside remains high and like I think I think they can still be good like I don't think we should be bashing our heads here against the wall just saying oh the season's over I mean I think you can kind of toss out the college football playoff stuff Probably. I mean, I guess if Oregon wins out, there'll be a discussion to be had, but like they don't look good enough to compete with. I mean, that was, this was a question we had on the Ots and Audible's podcast uh, mailbag episode on Wednesday of like, could they win a game against 
the college football playoff contenders. And Matt was really quick to say no. And I was probably more like, well, maybe, but I'm with you, Matt. Now it's like, I just don't that. I think you just kind of put that aside, that whole concept of like, they're going to be one of those teams that are in the, the college football semifinals. Like this is, they're not good enough right now. And if they were to play in a game like that, they could get just completely jobbed because UCLA is, what do you think? Maybe like the 40th best team in the country. And they went toe to toe the whole day against Oregon. We should talk about the return of uh, Hunter Campmore. He, I think, received a significant amount of the snaps for Oregon at tight end. He was a co-starter along with DJ Johnson. Um, should note, DJ Johnson did not receive a catch, did not receive a target in this football game um, in which he was had his fingerprints all over Oregon's first two wins of this season. Hunter Campmore, five catches, 70 yards, receiving one touchdown, six total targets in this football game. And I look at Hunter Campmore and his career statistics, and I'm doing this on the fly here, but part of me kind of thinks that might've been his, you know, equal to, to what he's done in his career at a, at a, at a tight end position um, in one game, maybe a little bit less. And I'm sitting here thinking he looked really good. Like, the, the the routes that they were running, their route concepts with Hunter Campmore were significately different than what he did. Uh, what excuse me, what Oregon did um, prior yeah. to he uh, being in the lineup. Uh, I thought he made some pretty impressive catches uh, in in this in this game, and it, I just walk away thinking, "Wow, this was very impressive." And his career total going into this season: uh, six catches, sixty three yards, one touchdown. He had five catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown, and honestly looked like a completely different you know, tight end prospect than, than we've seen in his previous years at Oregon. And he talked about it all offseason. Every time we asked him about what, his, what he was focusing on, it was catching the football, running with the football, being a pass catcher in this offense. Because last year, he, like, frankly, when he started all those games, he was basically like an extension of an offensive line. It's like having a six offensive lineman. He was almost no threat to catch the ball. He looked great out there, didn't he? I mean, like, you know, and you mentioned it. DJ Johnson, like, every one of his seven catches come into this game. It's basically on that RPO action where he kind of leaks out of the, the you know, it leaks off the sideline of scrimmage and, and Chuck kind of just, you know, drops it off to him. He let him get in space and he runs and, and does what he does. And he did fantastic in that role. Cantmore had, I think, at least one or two catches like that. But a couple of them were, were a little different. And you kind of got to see the playbook open up a little bit. And you're right. I, I look at him for Cantmore and go, like, He's a weapon now. And I didn't expect to be saying that in his first game of the season. And, and another guy who we have to talk about is a weapon is Devin Williams. Uh, six catches, 123 yards, a touchdown. The talent has been so evident from him ever since Oregon started recruiting him out of high school, what, three or four years ago. Six, five, super athletic, really, really great with the ball in the air. I know he had a, a drop or two the last couple of games that are probably uncharacteristic, but you know, nonetheless, need to be mentioned. He was fantastic, making tough catches in traffic, uh, you know, finding open space and, and making plays after the catch. Uh, I think you know he had the one where he kind of had like a spin after the catch and got to the sideline. I think that set up one of Oregon's. I can't remember if it was a touchdown or, or if they settled for the Camden Lewis field goal there. I think they ended up settling for the one made field goal Lewis had as a chip shot, but like. Devin Williams is a dude and we kind of were waiting for this and he was my kind of dark horse to lead the team in some sort of receiving categories. And this was the most impressive individual single game from a receiving perspective this year. I know it's only three games in, but I look at him and go like along with Hunter Campmore, like 
Oregon is now adding and kind of expanding to its arsenal at you know in terms of pass catchers. Those are the two main guys that he threw to today. They had 11 of 19 pass receptions and 193 of the 334 yards and two of the three touchdowns. And Mario Cristobal said after the game that he's been harder on Devin Williams than almost anyone else on the team. And that's because he is the talent is so evident that he wants to maximize it. And for a day, at least we saw it come together. Yeah. I, I, I think Devin was uh, a, a very bright sign in this football game. And you look at what he's done the last two weeks you hear what Oregon staff is is talking about and how Cristobal acknowledges and he even challenged him again. Like he he went through and admitted that he's been as hard as as Devin Williams as he's ever been, and that, and that he's harder on him than anyone else on the roster. And he's he he said that it's out of love that, that, that there's a ton of potential that they need to tap into, and that there's so much more there because he's an uberly talented player. And then later on in the press conference, I think his last question, he basically mid answer to to one question changes. Uh, the entire scope of what he's talking about and just says, you know, I hope Devin Williams is watching this because you still have so much more we can get out of you. And I, and I hope you don't let up and you, you look at this and think, wow. And in one game, essentially Devin Williams went from being a guy that was very low on the, on the pecking order from receiving targets from a, a, a production standpoint to after today thinking and knowing he's, Got the second most receptions of any player on the team with nine. Jalen Red has 12 to lead the team. He leads the team in receiving yards with 163. Jalen Red is second with 160. And he's now got his first touchdown of the game, Travis Dye uh, of the season with one. Travis Dye leads Oregon with three touchdowns on the year. And this is Eric starting to, to come into play of what we said at the beginning of the year. Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson would probably be the team's go to receivers early on in the season. And they've been that, but eventually Devin Williams would probably kind of morph into the go-to guy on this team. And it's one game. We don't want to make too much of an overreaction, but it was evident that Devin Williams was the big play threat that they needed in this game. And he came through in the clutch. And now the question becomes, can you get him to do it again? And can you get him to do it again and again and again? And the exciting part is you bring Michael Pittman back. I think soon I would, I, I, I'm not even going to make an, uh, some sort of judgment on when that's going to happen. But I think he'll be on the team again and back on the roster soon. And now you're going to have four legitimate guys. And that's more, I mean, I remember just in fall camp, it was like, we heard nothing of Devin Williams. Yep. And we kind of suggested, I wonder if this is intentional. And yeah. again, and I kind of think back to Cristobal's comments and I go, I think they were very intentional with how they talked about Devin and kind of didn't want to sing his praises too high because they knew to get this sort of a performance out of him. They had to kind of, Mario Cristobal said they don't play Jedi mind tricks. That was referring to um, Camden Lewis's confidence. And I don't want to suggest this is some sort of Jedi mind trick, but like, I do think there was something kind of psychological about how they wanted to handle Devin Williams. Cause like, let's be real. He has a potential from a talent perspective to be like one of the most gifted receivers organs had in their program period. And you saw it come together today. And I, I get excited thinking about this passing attack of, when you have Devin Williams firing on all cylinders, you got Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson doing what they do. You throw Michael Pittman into the mix, and then you've got Hunter Campmore, DJ Johnson, Travis Dye, Chris Hudson, who we still haven't kind of seen make that big step. Like suddenly, this Oregon offense in the passing game becomes super exciting and super potent. And I know Tyler Shuck had, I think it was Tyler Shuck's best day throwing the ball. 
uh, that's my perspective. I know he was probably off on a few throws and a couple of these throws downfield. Maybe if he throws a little bit better, they go for further yardage. But like, they have a quarterback who's capable of, of slinging it around, and they have now, I think, a complement of receivers that should make this really, really exciting going forward. And, and I'm excited to see what this offense looks like, especially through the air, once they have everything kind of firing on all cylinders, because we haven't seen that yet. There have been players in and out of the lineup. Devin Williams wasn't really a part of this early on, and they're now finally starting to get everybody to come together. I, I think it, the sky's the limit from a passing game perspective, and, and really – Maybe that's going to be enough, even on days like today. Certainly, it was this evening um, to overcome what was a really disappointing run game. All right, let's end it here. Um, Oregon goes into a game that was formerly known as the Civil War. We don't know the name of this game. Uh, Matt, we, plays- we, we should, should we talk about Camden Lewis really briefly, or do you just yeah. want to? Yeah, let's go ahead. I, mean, I, I, I just think it has to be said that it's yeah. like at this point. He made a 23-yard field goal. That was nice. Then they to really what would have been a game-changing kick potentially for four to three yards. I have not seen very many misses from a Division One kicker that were worse than that one. It was they need just, to make a change. They like, have to. They, I, I don't I, know. I don't know what they're doing if they can't, if they don't have a kicker better. That's problematic because they have they basically are handcuffed right now. They don't have a kicker who can make anything other than an extra point or a chip shot. Yeah, you 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 have two decisions. You stick with Camden Lewis, and you then treat any situation where it's fourth down beyond the 25-yard line. And to be honest, probably beyond the, the 20. But maybe beyond the 10. <laughs> that you have to go for it. Yeah. Or you, you try a new kicker. And you don't want to be too harsh on Camden Lewis and because it's – look, this is, a, this is a college player. He's not an NFL player. But – he hasn't made a kick over 40 yards in his career. He has blatantly missed his long attempts this season. His only makes this year are, are two kicks from inside the, I think where the ball is before the inside the 20 yard line. And it hasn't cost you yet, but there's going to be a game when you need a field goal, whether it's a field goal to put yourself up 10 or a field goal to put you up six or eight or to tie the game, or to win the game. And you need to make it, whether that's in the final seconds of the game when, when the game's over, or maybe that's in a, you know, a, a late fourth quarter drive. Um, you've got to have a kicker, and if he's your best option, that really just handcuffs you in a very, very bad way. And I would hope we see somebody... You don't want to say this, but you hope Oregon tries somebody else. That kicker. I mean, it almost bit him tonight. If you know, if he makes that forty-three yard kick that he missed, and again, it was it was not even close. It was ten yards short and ten yards left, probably more than ten yards short, honestly. But if he makes that kick, UCLA is driving and they have to score a touchdown, you know. And instead, they're driving with the chance to tie it with a field goal. And I know, and I know, like we didn't get to that point, and UCLA ends up losing the game, and Oregon wins. But like it wasn't that crazy to think that if you said picks up another first down there, they're going to be trying a field goal in the closing seconds to tie it and put it into overtime. And that would have been avoided if you have a kicker who can make a field goal from 40 yards or in, and they just don't have that right now. And, and I'm with you, Matt. I think, either, yeah, you're right. There, you have two choices. You're at a crossroads. Either you make a change or you just say, we're not kicking a field goal that's longer than 30 yards. And if you're doing that, that's, that really changes things when you get around that distance. And I, mean, I was a little surprised to see him out there from that distance period 
Um, yeah, I was blown away that they tried to kick that field goal because just like I said on the podcast after Washington State, I knew they were going to miss. I, I had zero confidence that they were going to make that field goal. Like it was to me, it was you either go for it or you take a penalty and you punt the football, which is crazy to say when you're at the 25 yard line. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's like, what are we doing? But yeah, so I don't know. I, I think we, we needed to have a Camden Lewis rant before we close this out because it's it's not offense, not defense, but special teams is important. And Oregon has a real issue at kicker. Should also note Tom Snee today was solid, but not fantastic. Six punts, average of 37 yards. Four of them were inside the 20, so that's good at least. But um, it, all in all, special teams, not a real strong suit of this team right now. And, and that's concerning because that can cost you games. All right. Let's wrap up the show. Going into the Oregon State week, Friday game, short week. What's your biggest concern? I think the defense at this point. Um, I mean, you look and see what Oregon State has done, and – they don't have much of a passing attack, but boy, is Jamar Jefferson probably the best running back Oregon's going to face so thus far this season and maybe all season. Like he's just carving people up, and that's a tough matchup. And I know you don't have, you know, it's not a real traditional road game because there aren't fans in the stands, but you're going to a place that's not home and a defense that might be without Noah Sewell, who's probably your best. Like I said earlier, I think he's your best linebacker. And you're going to have to stop an offense that has a real real playmaker in Jamar Jefferson. Like He has the looks of maybe the best running back in this conference right now. And that's a tough task. And then I think, like, I hate to just continue talking about Camden Lewis stuff, but, like, you want to win this game decisively because if it comes down to a special teams play or late-game heroics – I just don't have a whole lot of confidence. So I think you want me to, for me, it's like twofold. It's like, you got to slow Jamar Jefferson down and you really kind of want to dominate this game so that it doesn't come down to some sort of end of game situation. Cause I just think there's almost no confidence in, in that playing in your favor. Yeah. Mario Cristobal for me mentioned how they got to start fast in games that they have no problem playing really well in the second half, particularly in the third quarter um, that they've got to figure out why they can, go out and play like that to start the football game. That's going to be my question is how does Oregon solve this problem? Um, and secondly, can they stop, like you said, Jamar Jefferson? I think everything with OSU, OSU starts there. If you can contain Jamar Jefferson up front and you can force Oregon State to be one-dimensional, I think you can beat Tristan Jibia at quarterback. Not He's not a very good quarterback. You should be able to win this football game. And quite honestly, you should be able to win this game going away. But as we've known, it's not. it's easier said than done. Um, so seeing what adjustments Oregon makes in the next couple of days as they get ready uh, for Oregon at Oregon State Friday afternoon, Friday evening, I should say, from Research Stadium. Eric, potentially myself, will be there. Uh, we're waiting on health authorities basically to give us clearance to have us both attend. Hopefully we both are there, but DuckTerritory.com will be there in some capacity. And until then, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you, folks. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.